If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. So welcome to another edition of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Rock Thomas, and I have another fellow Canadian on the episode today, a young guy who has made real estate his expertise. And we're going to talk a little bit about how you can get out of the rat race and create some options through real estate. Welcome to the episode, Ben. How is she going, brother? How is she going? Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> always thanks for it. You know, in the middle of the winter, being down in Phoenix, Arizona is always a pleasure. So um, and I hear you're acquiring some property down here shortly yourself. Yeah, yeah. We're doing some Airbnb stuff in Phoenix and Vegas and that kind of West Coast market. So it's been cool. It's been cool yeah. being out here hanging out. Okay, awesome. Are you here currently now? I've been traveling for a while back and forth here. So, you know, when when things are kind of on lockdown and cold and frightful, I really love freedom. So I'm kind of moving yeah. around, making things happen. The capitalist will always find opportunity. So right. I've been, I've been, I go where the money is. I go where the opportunities are and I go where the people are. I love impact. I love hanging out with people that are creating amazing value in this world. So I try to find those people. I buy proximity. I move my body. I get going. So yeah, I'm, I'm moving for many different reasons, uh, but I've been, I've been kind of traveling for the last few months here. So walk us through a little bit, uh, your background. Uh, you know, you seem fairly young, but you may just have that young face kind of thing, but um you know, people are always asking the question, can I do it? So how did Ben do it? Well, so I've got a little bit of a young face. I'm 36 now. And my story is uh, like any other immigrant. You know, my family escaped communism in 1989. We escaped Romania on foot. And dad ran across the border, grabbed us kids, and we just booked it. And we risked our life, freedom, et cetera, to do that. And dad just said that, you know, this is not the life that I want for my family. I want to have opportunity. I want to be able to be able to practice my faith. My dad's a person of faith. He's a minister. Our whole family's Christian. And dad just ran. And we landed in a refugee camp. We landed in Canada shortly afterwards. So I'm the oldest of nine kids from a refugee family. I mean, that literally is as bottom as it can get. When dad came here, he was working two, three, four, five jobs. And there's a couple of things as an immigrant kid that you know. Number one, if you screw up, you're going to get your butt kicked. There's no like a little Johnny sit in the corner and play with your crayons as you know, you're going to get a spanking. And number two, you're going to work. If whatever you want to do in this world, you have to work. And I was extremely blessed to see my dad be so resourceful in the early part of my life because I realized whatever you want to build, you build. And I was going to be a musician, Rock. Like I was never, I, I wasn't trying to be in business. I was trying to play music and trying to be in bands. And I went to university, you know, my whole high school career, I took all, all, all courses that led me down the music path, went to university for a couple of years. And I remember my teacher halfway through university going, you are the laziest, most talented kid we have here. She's like, you've literally skirted through for two years. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say that um, when you're lazy and talented, somebody's going to outwork you. So how did you shift those gears? Well, so when I, when I kind of came to terms with the fact that I was going to have to work, right? I was like, I don't want to do this. Music to me was a passion. It, I, I realized very quickly, I didn't want it to become this career where I was teaching high school trumpet players and you know, you know, doing all these gigs on the road that I wasn't passionate about. So I dropped out. I dropped out of music and I did the only thing that I knew how to do when every immigrant knows how to do this is clean. 
right? My, my parents did cleaning service jobs all throughout my youth and I would go with them. So I started a cleaning service. I, I worked for a guy cleaning carpets for a few months and I learned how to extract carpet juice and how to clean just crap out of toilets and all that stuff. So I just started working. And through that, I had to form a level of disciplined character resilience. I had to, I had to work. So that service business was extremely valuable to me because it really helped me develop my character in a way that led me down the path to start buying real estate. Um, and it, I found it really valuable because it, it forced me into a world of there's no other options. Like you're either going to do this cleaning business or, or now you're just a dropout kid from university living in a basement with nine kids. Not an answer I wanted to live through. So that, that level of pain, that push, that it's time to grow up and do something, make hard decisions, is what forced me down this path of eventually buying real estate and doing all these other things we did. Yeah, that's awesome. So then tell us a little bit about now how you acquired the skill set to, to raise money and to purchase real estate. Because again, a lot of people like the idea. They pay $25,000 to take a Robert Kiyosaki course on how to do it. They hit their first pocket of resistance and they go, I don't know how, and they quit. So how did you push through that? How did you figure all that out being a child from an immigrant family? Well, so it kind of cues back into this idea of resourcefulness in the cleaning service. There's not a how to do cleaning service manual that I could find at the time. So I just started doing it. I started asking for help. I developed this whole identity around being humble in the sense of asking for help, never being too smart, too intelligent, too ego driven to start poking through. And I think everything is possible in this world if you keep pushing the level of resiliency and consistency. So my very first deal, I'm in the cleaning company and I'm looking for people that are in business to try to get around other people. I joined a local BNI business network group. And there's a guy that that's a mortgage broker and there's a realtor and there's a cosmetics person and all these people in this small little group and we would meet once a week. And they would say, what are, what are one of the challenges in your business? I said, well, my business, <laughs> I don't want to clean. Like I'm really not passionate about this company. I'm doing it because I, I get to work in the evenings mostly from 8 p.m. until two in the morning. And then I pretty much have the whole day wide open for other stuff, music, what have you. I said, I want to get into something that's going to be, that's going to allow me to get further ahead. And the guy said, hey, man, you should read this uh, book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I pick up the book. I read the book. I start understanding um, you know, that real estate's a you know, greater vehicle than the vehicle I was in. So something about total addressable market, like making sure you're in something that's large enough to really produce what you want. And I started going to conferences and events. And I didn't know. And I approached one guy one time and I said, hey, do you have anything you could sell me? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have any money. I'm not bankable. I tried going to you know, one of your traditional banks they said you don't have enough t4 you don't have enough income you don't have enough this and that so i really didn't have the money i didn't have the credit i didn't have the resources i didn't have the credibility i didn't have rich parents i didn't have any of that stuff what i had was a will and i said i will clean this house fix this house if i can just find something that i can sink my teeth in i'll do it and turns out there was a mortgage broker who had a convenience store that he turned into a duplex and i mean it looked like a convenience store converted to a duplex you can imagine how boxy this thing is and he was trying to get rid of it. He was having some, you know, marital and financial trouble. And I said, hey, dude, I'll buy this property from you if you're willing to sell it. The only thing I want you to do is walk me through how to get money. How do, how do I do this stuff? And he's a mortgage broker. He said, well, we have B lenders and C lenders and private money and all this stuff. He said, we could work it out if you're willing to kind of put down a deposit, whatever else. I said, okay, great. So I went to him. He found me some private money. It was expensive money. It wasn't cheap money, but I just needed to get in the door. And by the time I got the private money, you know, and did a loan and did the things that 
uh, that we had to do to close the deal. I was able to close on this property that was 126,000 and I was paying $156 a month plus my utilities because I had a tenant on the main floor. And it was the thing rock that got me out of my mom's basement at 21 years old. It, it, it was my very first deal. And I was so, as soon as I did one, and I think that's the big point is not how, but will you? See, a lot of people keep wanting more tactical, more tactical, more tactical, but they're not out actually knocking doors every day asking, can I do this today? And I just kept pushing on this. And I bought one. As soon as I bought one, Rock, I'm in the newspaper, man. I'm looking at what else is for sale. What I'm, I'm, I'm looking at doors. I'm, I'm walking around the neighborhood. I'm finding all these neglected properties. I'm starting to knock on doors. And I bought my second one seven months later, four blocks away. Similar story. This one was 130000 a seller who wanted to sell the property, couldn't manage it anymore, also a duplex. I said, hey, man, if you sell me this property, you know, I've got to, I'll figure out the financing. I'll do whatever I need to do. And rock it, private money, man, private money, pay more than you need to because of speed and accessibility. And I think so many of us are trying to hit a BOGO. Not only do we want to buy real estate, Rock, we want to get the cheapest possible money. And at the beginning, it's not about the cheapest money. It's just getting in the game. It's just getting one, two, three, four, five deals so you can understand the process, understand how capital works. Because I realized this, if I could make a deal work at five, six, seven, or 10% interest, it definitely would work at three later on if I were going to refinance or keep that property. And I think too many of us are playing a broken game. The deals we look to buy only work at three. And as a result, they will never work at eight, nine, and 10, which we remove that entire market from our. So I started in the harder markets, the more expensive markets, and I was willing to trade my time. I was willing to trade my effort to compensate whatever I had to do to get those properties to break even. So I bought two with inside of seven months. And just before I got married on my 23rd birthday, I bought another one a week before. So I had three duplexes before I was married at 23 years old. And I was finally cash flow break even because now I had all these different tenants. I had five different tenancies. My wife and I moved into a three bedroom, two story uh, duplex mm -hmm. in a really nice part of town. And that's how I started my life, still doing the cleaning thing and had three properties. So let me break that down for the listeners because there's yeah. a lot of, lot of uh, information there. So typically people look at buying uh, a property at 3% approximately this day and age, borrowing money from a, from a bank. What you're suggesting with the 789 is that you find somebody who has some money, a private lender, you purchase the property at 789 and I imagine you're holding it for a year or two or three, possibly improving it, increasing the rents, and then refinancing it with a traditional bank and willing to pay the seven, eight, nine percent for that period of time to private lenders in order to make the deal work. Is that a fair description of what you just said? Absolutely. And the reason I was looking for duplexes and triplexes, Rock, is because there was some income coming in. So I was willing to trade, not living in my own home, right, a single family property, um, and, and live with other people for the sheer point that there was some income. So I think this idea of house hacking or living in a small multifamily is a great way to get started. I had three duplexes and, and I'm all for it. I think if you can, if you can manage it's, it, I mean, real estate to me is all about liquidity. Now, if you can manage and build a business in a five to 10% margin, and you could work that into cash flow, you could work it into how you structure your debt. You can work it into things like a balloon payment. There's so many other alternatives, but I think the point that I'm really kind of driving at here, Rock, is we are consumers. Many of us go to the regular conventional bank and we go and consume mortgage products at 3%, 2%, whatever it is. And then we attempt to leverage the bank as investors in a consumer product and we get stuck. 
And people go, especially in Canada where I'm from, they go, well, the bank won't give me more than four doors. Four doors meaning four units or five doors. Well, it was never designed for you to leverage them to become wealthy. The bank was designed to sell you a mortgage for you so that you could go to your job and pay your mortgage and they, they can make points off of you. So it wasn't designed that way. And I think we many times are afraid of the alternatives because they seem expensive. But the real cost to me, Rock, was what about the fact that you never get in or you never get in in a meaningful enough way where it actually makes a big difference to your life? So I would advise people, that was my path. The challenge with these shows, Rock, is we give our path, but it's a different market cycle. There's different pricing. There's different things. So somebody will run out and do what I do. The, the, the main point for me here is just become super resourceful. Be willing to ask better questions. Be willing to suck it up. If you got to live with six people in a house and you're a young person, you're in your 20s or in your 30s, you're trying to finally get into this business and break through, listen, be willing. And the other piece I'll add to that is this. There is so much available money out there and people say this and, and they're very vague about it, but let me be really clear. There are people like me now at 36, my primary focus is to invest my money. I no longer need to grind it out and spend all of my time to chase money because I've accumulated resources. And there are people that have accumulated resources all around you that need to deploy money, that need to buy investments, that need to put it into different things. And you're not begging them for money. If you came to me and said, hey, Ben, can I get money to buy a property? You're not begging me for capital. I need to deploy it. In fact, I'm more desperate to deploy it than you are to borrow it. And I don't think we realize how many people out there have so much capital, especially in today's market. There is so much liquidity. And I think if we're just willing to make a little effort, Rock, we can get in front of people that have the resources. We pitch our story. We're willing to work and clean garbage if we need to, to just to make it happen. And I think that that is a, a lot of times overlooked in these narratives. Yeah. We just know, like, go to the bank, follow the rules. Listen, I'm, I'm about 300 properties, not following the rules, building the rules that work for my life. Simple right. as that. So let's break that down a bit. If if the typical person wants 3% to make the deal work and you're going to do it at 8%, how are you covering that? Explain that to people, the, the pay down of the mortgage, the uh, increase in the property, the tax benefits, give them a little bit of a snapshot on how you package it. Sure. So one of the technical things, the first thing we need to do is we can buy time by buying equity. Meaning if a property, if the market value is, let's say $100,000 for the property and the market value is dictated by three, four, five, or six homes in the same condition, same area, same aesthetic, that all trade or sell at the same price that's kind of considered a fair market value. Let's say they all go for 100. You are obligated as an investor to find and create value through conversation. People think we find deals in a hot market. We really don't. We create deals through conversation and dialogue by, by understanding terms and price. And many of us, all we know is price. Here's my number, I'm out. But if you can learn how to construct terms for people, Let's go back to my first example. This guy wanted to sell the property. He didn't want a public spectacle. So he wasn't inclined to hire an agent. An agent traditionally will charge you 5% of the listing as a marketing service. That's what it is. If they sell the property, they'll take 5%. So on a $100,000 property, Rock, that's $5,000 that would go to that realtor. Well, me as an investor, if I'm buying the property directly from that individual, can't I just reduce it by $5,000 and he's in the same boat? So I believe an empathetic deal making really understand the seller's situation understand and negotiate and, and start bringing value so him not listing the property is worth a minimum five percent 
But what about having to publicly display it, awareness, all the other stuff that's personal? There's a lot of people that really don't want people walking through their home, 10, 20, 30 people speculating on their property, on their things. Like it's uncomfortable for people. We go through this public spectacle every time we sell. So what I like to do is find these value with people. So for him, it was worth, and other people that I work with, it's worth at least 5%, even 10% rock just on that piece alone. The piece of like, hey, listen, <clears throat> all of our properties, we live in our own mess. Every single one of us. And you got stuff in your house right now that you could walk around and you know it's there, but you haven't addressed it, right? Cracked baseboards, a little leak here, a little thing there. And we live in this stuff. When we sell a property though, it all becomes exposed. That person does a home inspection. So if I'm willing to take the property and has this condition and do the work myself, I get to build and buy my equity back. So it's this, it's, it's really aggressively understanding the other person, empathetically going, what's it really worth to you to get the property, get rid of it and has this shape? What's it worth to you to just sell it privately, confidentially? I won't make a spectacle. You don't need to make a spectacle. What's it worth to you? And you have to find these opportunities in the dialogue and the conversation to create that value. And many times, you can walk away with 20%, 30%, you know, or even greater discount on the property in that case, right? So that's really the, the premise of the dialogue here is we have to be able to build that. So that's my first rule is get equity. If you get equity in the transaction, the beautiful part is then you have all these other options because you have instant equity in the property. If it's worth hundred, I bought it for 80, there's $20,000 of instant equity. So here's what that means. That means that when you go to borrow capital, there's two things that lenders look for risk and reward. The risk is really you at the end of the day. It's all about you and your willingness. If I paid $100 or 100,000 for 100,000 and I did nothing and I walked away, that person is taking a lot of risk. But if I paid 80 and it's worth 100, there's $20,000 buffer. And people need to understand with private investors, if you bring a big enough buffer where if you bail, they can take the property, fix it, sell it, get it off their hands quickly and even make some, some dollars, there's a high probability you could get 90, 95, and 100% financing. So that's piece number one. Piece number two is structuring the debt. There's many ways to structure debt. What I like to do is do balloon payments. So I, I do a strategy many times called selling the future. And it looks like this. I'll borrow the capital at X rate, but when I sell the property or refinance the property, I'll cut you into my proceeds. As the market keeps rising, as the debt gets paid down, as I fix and improve the property, willing to get it, get it renovated, I increase the value of the underlying asset. If I go in and put a kitchen in, it increases at least one time or two times what the cost of that kitchen was. So again, there's a manual process. I'm literally manually plugging these holes and I'm allowing the other person lending me the capital to partner with me in lieu of charging me full points, full monthly payment on the front end. And it's short term. So rock six months to a year, I'm in this thing. Even if it costs me $400 a month to keep this property for a year, that's $4,800. I just take that into my assessment. Because when I go to the, let's say an alternative lender, when I go to a bank later to refinance, that's into consideration. So here's the big secret, and then I'll let you jump back in. It's this, it's much easier to refinance or restructure existing debt that you have than to get new debt. Because new debt requires credit checks, income statements, all this other stuff. So to get this, the, the approach is simple. You use private capital. You're willing to get your hands dirty. You buy those properties. You do the work. Then you go to the bank. I would go back to the bank rock with three, four, five properties, renovated, tenanted, and say, hey, I'd like to restructure this debt. Now I can go get that three or four or 2% debt 
even if it's not the cheapest that it's at least a B lender or somebody's willing to give it to me because I've done the work. Confidence equals capital. As simple as that in my world. So I hope, hope that kind of explores it with your audience a bit. If you're willing to, to, to punch through the noise and, 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 and get some work done, there's plenty of people that will partner with you on the short term to help you do that because it really is a win-win. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the shared equity. So somebody, let's say, loans you some money, give them maybe, what, 25% bill as an argument, right? Is that fair to say? Could be. Yeah, could be. Could be. Um, you buy the property for 100 You improve it. It goes up to, say, we'll just use round numbers. It goes up to 150 in value. You go back to the bank. You get a, a mortgage of 120 on it, let's say. And um, you had purchased it, let's say, at 80. So you got a discount. Maybe you put in $10,000 to improve it. So now you have $60,000 worth of equity. They would get back their investment, which was $20,000 plus 15. Is that, would you give them the, the complete upside or a portion of it? You can structure it. This is the beautiful thing about finance is that it's chess, not checkers. Uh, there's no singular move. There's multiple moves you can make on this. The real right. question is this. Do you want to use them again? See, right. one of the secrets for me, Rock, was I, mm -hmm. I, I found a contractor one time. They gave me 45000 to buy a house. And that initial 45000 led to over $7 million of loans privately with this one guy. Right. So I'm a big believer of, like, of growing together with people. So I, I would even give a big chunk of that upside away if, if that's what it took. For me, I'm never making offers. Rock, I'm asking. Hey, yeah. what would you, what would you need? What return do you want? Exactly. If he wants 12, right. I'll give him 13. You feel right. me? But if he wants seven, I'm not going to offer 15. Like there's no reason right. to actually it right. creates more uncertainty and more risk. Profile. Too good to be true. What's going on? You got it. Yeah. yeah. So don't ever oversell. And, and that's a, that's a very, that happens often in this business. People tend to just sell, sell, sell. Don't sell. Ask, where's your yeah. money? How much are you getting? Would you, could you, right? If I had a property, would you invest? Could you do it quickly? And how much would you need to make on it? Well, if I could make 10% on my money, Ben, it'd be better than me just losing half my crypto last week. Great. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And my job is to build a Rolodex and we call it digging the well here, right? So we dig the well, dig the well for years and years. I'll give you the, the, the question. Well, every time I go out, I learn this from my buddy. When people ask you, Brock, what do you do? What would be a traditional answer for you? Rock, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm a life coach. I'm an author. I mean, there's a lot of different lanes I can go. Right. Perfect. So all of us go to uh, a status, an accolade, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or the thing that we want to do. Here's what I learned. What do you do? I help people invest their money in real estate. Right. So I just, I, I give them the activity. And by doing that, you'll get two responses. That's cool. I'm somebody who wants to invest in real estate. How does it work? Right. Or you'll get, well, cool, I'm a janitor, et cetera, et cetera, whatever they do, right. they'll talk about themselves. If you simply keep building the dialogue, literally with complete strangers, you'll have a Rolodex if you're somewhat organized, and then you'll build. So we have a well of, let's say, 5, 10, 20, $30 million sitting in an Excel spreadsheet. And when I have a transaction, I go, hey, remember that time we talked about this? How's it going? And we have a whole process for nurturing and keeping them active. But I believe that's, that's the best way to do this is in, in five years from now, everybody listening to this call could have $5 million in capital reserves from private individuals if they simply start answering and asking that question. Right. So then the other flip side of that that people ask me is, how do you find the deals? Well, you want to talk about a hot market like today? 
Might as sure. well, we're in it. Yeah, let's go for it. Again, deals to me aren't found, they're created through conversation. You really have to get to the center of why that property is for sale and you got to bring tremendous value. Let's just say you're making offers on the MLS. The challenge with that is you don't actually know why the seller is selling that property. In the hot market, there's no such thing as fair market value. It really isn't because it literally keeps increasing every other month. And my in Canada is the hottest market, one of the hottest markets, if not the hottest market in the world. If you ever look at the stats, it actually trumps the US and how quickly it's grown. There's no such thing as fair. Remove that from your equation and think about this idea that is you're basically speculating, throwing darts at a board. So there's right. volume, right? Right now, I can tell you in, in our camp, for the people we mentor, they put 100 offers a month and they on average get about five to seven deals. Think about that logically. That's how many offers it takes. So if you're putting three or four, you're probably not getting a deal. Right. So there's volume, volume, volume. And the reason we do volume on MOS is because, and, and that's the multiple listing service where agents list your properties. The reason we have to do volume is because we don't actually know the seller situation. If I can get to the seller, then again, it's the same win-win thing. So there's two ways, off-market, direct conversation. People need to learn how to communicate. Rock, that's the bigger challenge here. So if you want to find deals, you have to learn how to communicate, learn how to be empathetic, have a win-win intention attitude with people, and you will find, create, I should say, deals in the hottest of markets because everybody has a need. It's the blush method, B-L-U-S-H, buying, lending, unsure, selling, and holding, blush. And what I realized is everybody is in one or two of these blush verticals. So you bought house 10 years ago, Rock, the market goes way up, right? Now you're a seller. Now, baby, you're going to sell it and give a loan to somebody with the proceeds. So we have to remember every investor is in one of these cycles themselves personally. People get divorced. People change jobs. There's negative and positive reasons why somebody would take less than it's worth and take less than it's worth. Again, in a hot market, there's no worth. It's worth whatever somebody's looking to speculate. So we have to just keep that in mind that there's not, nothing fair about today's marketplace. You, have, you need a competitive advantage by understanding how to create deals creatively. Beautiful. I love the fact that you're so uh, tight in how you can explain it. And it's obviously because you've been doing this and this is your lane and you really don't do anything else. If people want to get hold of you, follow you, learn from you, what's the best way, Ben? Instagram, Ben Humble. Just jump on Instagram, Ben Humble. We got all of our resources there, brother. All right. Well, I want to thank you for joining an episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. And the reason I call it that is because if you don't have money, then you don't have time freedom and you don't have time freedom then your life sucks. So we might as well win the money game, which you've obviously done. And now you're traveling the world. So congratulations to you, buddy. Thank you so much. All right. We'll see you all in the next episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. If you like this episode, make sure that you like it, subscribe it, share it with somebody so we can bring on more amazing guests like Ben Humble. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.